Welcome to the Life Church Podcast. We're broadcasting from Coralville, Iowa. For more information about Life Church, to watch a live stream, or to find a campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. Listen, we're in this series called Triggered, and it, we're, today we're ending the series, but we've talked about it so far. What we've talked about is anxiety the first week, and then the second week we got into anger. Last week we talked a little bit about anger. Today we're going to talk about a little bit more about temptation. But about a year ago, I started a, a kind of an eating routine, a way, of, a way of eating. It's called, and you might be familiar with it, it's called intermittent, intermittent fasting. Anybody familiar with intermittent fasting? Okay. Uh, I'm not asking if you practice, I'm just saying if you're familiar with it. <laughs> uh, basically, <laughs> intermittent fasting is this idea where you, you eat within a certain window of time. Like, so some people, I, my son Jonathan introduced me to it, and he, he only ate like four hours a day, you know. And I thought that was crazy, so I said, I'm not going to do that. I've got to eat more than that. <laughs> but anyways, uh, but you could eat like a window of four hours or a window of six hours or eight hours or whatever. And because I'm a little bit sometimes get, don't want to be like what everybody else does, I choose seven hours. <laughs> so I eat. My, my window of eating is between noon and 7 p.m. And I, I, the, the, the trick for me is ending at 7 p.m. That's the main thing for me, right? Because for me... Historically, my problem has been the late night eating. Don't raise your hand, but I know some of you are like, uh-huh, uh-huh, that's me too, right? Um, and so, yeah, and so I have to, you know, not, not eat at night. In fact, that's been my challenge for, for many, many years. I, I, I would, you know, I'd eat around supper around 6 p.m., totally satisfied. I've done really well with my eating all day long. But then around 10 p.m., when it's about bedtime, I'm, I'm making my way to the bed, and I, and I hear this little, like a, faint sound coming through the airwaves and it's that lonely strawberry pop-tart in that sleeve. So somebody, some very, very, uh, you know, just very uh, bad person ate only one of the two inside the sleeve and left one all by itself. And as I'm walking to my room, I can hear it saying, Rich, save me. And so I've historically saved it. But since I've started this intermittent fasting, it's been really good for me, you know. I don't. I really do cut it off at seven, and and it, you know. And the, the other the other success story for us is that we just don't have pop tarts in the house anymore. Because <laughs> maybe I wouldn't be successful. I don't know. But um, uh, a, f- a few months ago, I was on my way. To, uh, I went to Des Moines for some meetings. I had uh, some presbyter meetings in Des Moines, and our meeting starts at nine o'clock. And I thought there's a nice car wash there in Des Moines. I want to take my car through, so I uh, I went early, left early, left around six a.m. from here to get to Des Moines, so I could then, you know, wash my car. And um, I was on Hickman. Hickman Road, and I turned left on, onto 86th Street to, to go to this car wash that I was familiar with. And I got down to 86th Street for a little bit, and I got, came to the to stoplight, but then there was traffic there. And I've been on this street many, many times, and there's never traffic there. There's always a light, maybe a quick light, and you just get through it and you just keep going. But these, these cars were just stopped and it was lined up, and I've been up since early in the morning, and I, was, I didn't want to run late to my meeting. I want to get my car done, you know. I mean, all that kind of stuff was going on through my head. So I'm sitting at this light feeling a little bit irritated and a little bit impatient because we got to get to this meeting when suddenly out of the corner of my eye, I saw this light, and it said, hot now. As I show this sign, some of you are like salivating. <laughs> Krispy Kreme donuts. And 
man, I like Krispy Kreme donuts. But it was 8 a.m. in the morning. That's not my eating window. My eating window's from noon till 7 p.m. So I just, I'm like determined, no, no, I'm not going to do this. You know, I just grab, I just grip my steering wheel and I, I turn on some worship music and you know, I'm going to see a victory. I'm going to see a, I mean, I'm singing this song because I'm just going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to cave into temptation. I'm not going to do this. But before I knew it, man, I was in a drive-thru of Krispy Kreme <laughs> and I wasn't just buying one donut. I was buying six, half a dozen of the Krispy Kreme originals, you know, that are hot I especially said, give me the hot ones, <laughs> you know, because they might stick in some of the ones that were cooked earlier, you know, but I'm just like, give me the hot ones, right? And, and you're thinking, why, why just buy one? Well, because that's completely telegraphing to the people there that work there that you shouldn't be eating a Krispy Kreme donut. Nobody buys just one Krispy Kreme donut, right? If I bought just one, if I said, can I have one Krispy Kreme donut and through the drive-thru and then I get up to the window, they would like, they would hand me the donut and say, hey, aren't you supposed to be fasting right now? That's what they would say to you if you just buy one, right? And so I, you know, I failed that day. I caved in. Here's what I think happened. Um, I was hungry because I had, you know, not eaten since the night before. And I was tired. I had gotten up early in the morning, drove to Des Moines, and I was irritated because I was, you know, standing at this light where there's usually never traffic there. And so when that light came on, I was a sitting target. I was prime for the picking. And, uh, and sure enough, that's what happened. I got hooked. I saw the bait, got hooked, and, and I fell. And that's really what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the process of temptation in our lives. And I suspect that there are many of you that understand what I'm talking about. Last week, we, uh, we looked at James chapter 1 as we were talking about anger. And uh, James is writing to some Christians who are really struggling. I mean, they've, they've, uh, they've been disconnected. They've been, you know, there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of struggle going on. They've been displaced from their, from their homes, from their families. They've uh, lost their jobs. It's just a difficult time of suffering. And so James is going to encourage them. He's going to say, listen, you can be joyful through this season of suffering. Yes, it's hard, it's difficult, but, but, but you, need, you can persevere, you can make it. And he's giving them this, this, this perseverance kind of speech. You know, you, you're able to make it because you have the, the strength of Christ in your life. You can do this. But then he goes on, if you keep reading, you'll find, after he's talking about this, he, you keep reading, he, you'll find he starts talking about temptation, like challenging them to resist temptation. Now, when I read this, I'm like, well, James, aren't you a little bit off point here because... I mean, when somebody's struggling, when somebody's lost their home because of persecution, when somebody is suffering because, you know, the world is against them, really, is that the right time to say, hey, and by the way, you better be careful with temptation in your life? I'm not sure. See, I think James knows something, and if the conversations I've been having over the last year are any indication of it, I think that he knows that, tem that trials and temptation tend to go together, Right? It turns out that when you're suffering, when you're struggling, you're much more vulnerable to temptation. All of us are. And so I understand that. I get that as I've had conversations over this past year as people have began to tell me about their frustrations with the, our political system or their frustrations with, with you know, the whole COVID up 
back and forth kind of stuff. And those, that's where the conversation starts. And they're, they're talking about their frustration. They're talking about how irritated they are. They're talking about their, 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 their troubles. And then they go on to say, yeah, and you know, I, I quit drinking a long time ago. But now I'm fine that I'm right back to that addiction that I had from the past. Or when we were, you know, because of work, because of COVID, our work situation just got disrupted. And so many of you started working from home. And next thing you know, you're like your husband and wife. And like you only saw each other like for four hours a night. But now you see each other all day long, right? And you start really discovering, man, I, I'm not sure if I like this. And you start discovering there's some dysfunction in the marriage that you've, you've managed to, to have a married life because you're just, you know, you're just not around each other very much. But now that you're around each other all the time, you're not sure you really like that person anymore. And so what's happening is there's, again, my conversations are of people who are separating and thinking about divorce. Or maybe you were, your work sent you home and you were working in isolation and that's kind of led to a porn addiction that you never saw coming. Temptation. <clears throat> There's a lot of other temptations we can talk about, but what seems to be clear, as we've talked about anxiety, we've talked about anger, it's, what seems to be clear is that many of us are struggling with temptation. And we thought we were over it. We thought we had conquered it. We thought that that was no longer be a problem for me, but here we are again, back to this place. And so James is going to talk to him about that. He's going to talk to him about how trials can, can make us vulnerable to temptation. This is how he starts off in verse 13. He says, when tempted. Notice he says, when tempted. There's no if there, right? He's not saying if you get tempted. Just let's pause there for a second. Every single human being in this room right now, when you're tempted. Because every single one of you in this room right now, including me, will be tempted. Okay? Are you following me on that? There is no, there is, you're not ever so spiritually mature that you're exempt from temptation. James understands that. When tempted, right? All of us are tempted. And it's dangerous to think that that, oh, you know what, I've, I know the Bible so much. You know what, I'm so, I'm so strong in the Lord. You know what, I worship God all the time. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not ever tempted. That's a dangerous place to be. So James Kisos says, when tempted. There are many reasons, I think, that we are vulnerable to temptation. But one of the reasons, I think, is that, you know, we're spending so much time, like there's an idleness in our lives this past year, right? Not, not by intention. I'm not saying you're, you're lazy or anything like that. I think that, you know, with, with how so many businesses shut down and so many work uh, offices went to remote working, you know, and you found yourself at home a lot. You found yourself with a flexible schedule. Your, your routines have been disrupted. I think what's happened in the middle of that mix is that many of us have become sitting targets. Like the enemy was able to zoom in on you and figured you out. Sitting targets, a, it's a, a hunting term, right? It's this term that when you're hunting prey, and this, there's this prey, and he's out in the open. That prey is a sitting target. That prey is, it, you know, it's in isolation. And so, if you're a sitting target, it means that there's probably no one really traveling with you. There's no accountability in your life. There's no safety in numbers. There's no one, no one watching your back. No one's guarding for you. And... 
if that's where you find yourself, you're vulnerable to, to, to temptation, if that's where you find yourself, I want to tell you about a ministry we have here called Celebrate Recovery. Um, in fact, Zach, you're, Zach, raise your hand. Zach is one of the guys that leads Celebrate Recovery here. Um, Celebrate Recovery is this ministry that offers, you know, support not, if, you know, for those who are struggling. Now, let, let, me, let me just qualify this because I think oftentimes when we think of ministries like Celebrate Recovery, you think, well, yeah, that's for those people, man, those really people that just so have gone far off, you know, and that's not true because all of us at some point of our life struggle. And what this Celebrate Recovery does is it offers support for people who, are, who have these, you know, difficult circumstances, these overwhelming temptations, this, these overpowering addictions. And so if you find yourself that, would you do something? Will you not leave today without saying, I'm going to do something about my struggle right now? Especially if in the last year you found yourself really just caving in and you just don't like yourself, you're struggling with just so much in your life. I just want to encourage you, you know, you go to our website, lifechurchnow.org forward slash life groups. You can find the life groups page there. And in there we have uh, groups for men and women celebrate recovery. They meet every Thursday from 6.30 to 8.30. I really want to encourage you to do that. You're not meant to walk alone. You hearing me? You're not meant to walk alone through your addictions. You're not meant to walk alone through your struggles. You're not meant to walk alone through those things. God wants to walk with you and there are people who have said, I'm, I'm committed to walking alongside somebody else who's struggling, okay? So I encourage you to do that. So James, move on. James, um, uh, what he does is he connects trials to temptations. Now we don't always make that connection like we don't always see that trials and temptation are together but when you go through a difficult trial you're just vulnerable to temptation. Another way to say this is difficult circumstances, difficult circumstances have a tendency to lead to destructive decisions. When I say this, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Difficult circumstances have a tendency to lead to destructive decisions because when I say this, you look at it in the reverse. You think of the destructive decisions you make and then you start going backwards and you realize, whoa, yeah, that was when, man, I was just having so much, I was having such a hard time at work or my marriage was just not doing well, and, or this was happening, or that was happening. Difficult circumstances have a tendency to lead to destructive decisions, and maybe that's where you found yourself. You understand, you identify with that. And maybe what you did was years ago, maybe it was just months ago, and you know, you were in a difficult circumstance, and you made a destructive choice, and you're still paying the price for that. And James knows that, and that's why he says, hey, Trials and temptations, those things go together. And so the question for us is this. If none of us are exempt from temptation, none of us are, and if trials and temptation t seem to go together, then that means, and, and all of us at some point are going to face trials, right? You faced them, you will face some more. Then how do we deal with this? Like how do we prepare for when temptation comes? How do we prepare for that? And I understand that when I say this, I get it. I get it. it's easy to feel like, wow, if, I, if, if trials and temptation go together and if trials are pretty much real, they're going to happen. And if, if none of us are exempt from temptation, I get it. You might feel hopeless in this, but here's what I want to encourage you on, that there is power through the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is a way for us to have victory. I'm not saying you're not, not going to make a mistake. But there's a way for us to have victory. So my prayer for us as a church is that in this season, we will not lose ground to the enemy. 
That in this season when so many of you might feel like you're struggling, like there's so much, so much chaos going on at work or so much chaos in a marriage that you don't lose ground, but instead you stake your, your, you put your stake in the ground and you say, this, there's, there's going to be victory for my life from this, from this moment forward. That victory will be a reality of your life. That's my prayer for us as a church. And so, so James basically, he begins to speak to us in verse 13. He says, listen, when you're tempted, so when you're tempted, we all know this, when we're tempted, right? But then here's what you do not do or do not say. No one should say, God is tempting me. No one should say, God is tempting me. Like, don't blame God. Like, sometimes that's what happens. What happens is, God, why'd you make me this way is a leading question. Why did you make me this way? I mean, God, if you don't really want me to do this, if you don't really want me to fall in, in those traps, then why did you make me this way? If you don't really want me to fall to those desires, then why did you give me those desires? And basically what James is saying, hey, that's not the way it works. No one should blame God. No one should say that God has tempted me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, he says, nor does he tempt anyone. So don't blame God, right? It actually starts with our desires. So when you're tempted, when you find that you've gotten triggered, where does that come from? Look what it says in verse 14. It says, but each person, okay, when you're tempted, don't say that God tempted me. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. I love this passage, actually, even though it sounds like, Wow, this is, it seems like an ominous passage, right? I love it because I like what James is doing here. See, James is saying, look, you're going to be tempted. So instead of being walking in the dark, instead of being, you know, not sure what's going on, why am I feeling this? Why am I doing this? Why am I falling into this trap? It's like James has, has basically, he's, he's unpacked or he's discovered here, he's opened up the enemy's playbook, and he says, here's the four steps in how you end up falling into sin. This is what happens when you do it. So let's look at this. Know that this is what happens. And when it happens, you can be aware of it. You can actually, you can actually deal with it. This is how we prepare for it. The first step, he says, is desire. Verse 14 says, each one is tempted when, when by their own evil desires. It talks about desires. It talks about it coming from within. Like instead of projecting it on God, realize that it comes actually from within. There's something inside of us that desires. Now, desire in itself is not a bad thing. God gives us desire. He gives us desire for sleep. He gives us desire for food. Desire for sexual intimacy. He gives us desire for, for you know, uh, success. For desire to make a difference in the world. All those are desires that God gives us. The problem is that oftentimes what happens is we start chasing the desire and then suddenly that desire becomes destructive in our life. And this is really what James is addressing. Don't chase those desires. Desire can, be, can become destructive. So you have desire, I'm kind of moving quickly through this, which then leads to deception. So you're tempted by your own evil desires, he says, and then you're dragged, verse 14, dragged away and enticed. He uses a couple of... Uh, terms from sports here. He says, dragged away and enticed. Dragged away is a hunting term that means like snared by a trap. Like you got trapped in a, in a, in a you got snared in a trap. And then the word entice is a fishing term. It means lured by bait. That's what he's talking about. 
Now, um, there's a couple guys in our church, Luke Hoagland and John Byer. They started this company called Crunch Fishing Company. Are you familiar with Crunch Fishing Company? Some of you have kind of saw them on Facebook, you know? And, uh, and the other day, I'll be honest, I know nothing about fishing. Like, you say, hey, Rich, let's go fishing. And I just think, oh, man, we yawn. Because, yeah. <laughs> I, 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 you know, my idea of fishing is go sit in a boat all day long, catch nothing, and then go home and say, wow, we had a great time. That's my idea of, the, of fishing. So I'm not, I'm not a fisherman. I, I admit that. But these guys, John and, and Luke, man, these guys are masters. They, the other day I was watching a video that they put together and, and Luke was making bait. I didn't even know you made bait. I thought bait came in boxes or something. You know, you just go to the store and buy bait. Luke made bait. And what's interesting is that he talks about how he, in this, I'm mean, like, he, he went over, way over my head what he was talking about, but he talks about how the different bait, like he made this bait to catch a certain kind of fish. Like there's a science to this whole thing, Right? And so when someone gives into temptation, in many ways, that's what's happening to us. We, we're, we're being lured by our own selfish desires. In other words, what James is trying to say is that, that the temptation, we don't realize it, but the temptation oftentimes is very much tailored to you. Like you specifically. There's something about your desires that the enemy focuses in on you specifically and the things that you desire. Like earlier when I talked about Krispy Kreme donuts, some of you were like, I could tell. You were like, man, I'm leaving. I'm going, I'm going to Des Moines right now to buy myself some Krispy Kreme donuts because you love Krispy Kreme donuts, right? I mean, like you're salivating and all that. But then there was others of you, you're like judgmental. You're like, Krispy Kreme donuts? He would break his fast for Krispy Kreme donuts? How, how immature is he? Like you're judging me. See, but here's the problem. You have a chocolate problem. I don't have a chocolate problem. I don't. You have a chocolate problem. So you can judge me. You can judge me for my donuts. I'll judge you for your chocolate. But here's the truth about that. Chocolate and donuts are just two different types of bait. They're tailored specifically to you. That's how the enemy attacks. And sometimes we don't realize that. Sometimes we just, we think that I don't struggle with that, you know, and I'm good. And really, the enemy's he's orchestrating something. He's looking at you. He's trying, to, he's trying to lure you in. So the third step is disobedience. So we have desire that leads to deception, and deception leads to disobedience. Here's how James puts it in verse 15. He says that after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. After desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. It gives birth to disobedience. And here's what he does. He begins with our desires. It begins in our thoughts. It begins in our imagination. And oftentimes what we say to ourselves is, I'm not hurting anybody. I was thinking about it. It was just in my head. I'm just thinking about it. I didn't do anything. I didn't hurt anybody. I didn't, you know, I didn't say something bad. I just was thinking about it. But see, James here uses, he uses birthing analogy. He talks about this desire has conceived. It's conceived, which then gives birth to sin. What he's saying is that there's something about the thoughts that then give birth to stuff inside of us. Like if we're not guarding our hearts, then what's happening is we're allowing seeds to be planted. And you might say, 
You might say, hey, no, I'm, I'm okay, I'm good, I haven't done anything, but here's the thing, the seed was planted, and ultimately that seed's gonna grow, and it's gonna give birth to sin. Sin is on its way. In fact, the Bible has a whole lot to say about making, renewing our minds, that that's really where the battle begins. I think oftentimes when, we, when, we're, when we're tempted and we fall into sin, here's what we work on. We work on behavior modification. I, I, okay, I gotta figure out a, a system to not do that thing anymore. Like, you know, I, I had a friend that, that was a, that he had a, an alcohol issue and he was a, a school bus driver and, and he had quit the alcohol, you know, but he would drive and on his route, there was this, there was this uh, place, this bar he used to frequent. And he was wondering, why do I keep falling into this? And he was just being reminded of a place he used to go to. It was starting in his mind. We oftentimes think, let's, let's, let's stop the behavior. But really what we have to do is we have to arrest the thinking. We have to stop the seeds being planted in our minds so that sin doesn't come forth. Somebody put it this way about sin. Sin will always take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay and cost you more than you want to pay. And I know that there are many of you in this room right now, including me, who will say amen to that. That is so, so true. Amen? So here's what we need to do, especially if you find yourself as a sitting target these days. You need to ask yourself the question, where is this all taking me? I'm feeling tempted. I'm about to start. Maybe you've already started. started doing some things I shouldn't be doing. Where is this going to take me? Where is this leading? What's the outcome of this going to be? Alcoholics Anonymous have a little saying that they used to say. They would say, you need to think through the drink. You need to think through the drink. You need to like see, ask yourself, who is it going to affect? What's on the other side of this drink? What kind of pain is it going to cause me? How far is it going to set me back? A lot of Proverbs actually are written like this. They're written as a father speaking to a son. And the father is telling the son, hey, listen, I've been down this path. I know what I'm talking about. You should listen to me. I know where this will lead. Like maybe you don't know right now where it's going. You don't see it, but I see it. And so I know where this is going to lead. So Proverbs 7 is a good example of that. In Proverbs 7, you have a father who's speaking to a son. And it's metaphorical language here. But he's a father who's speaking to a son about lust and sexual immorality. And he, and he, and he describes lust as a beautiful woman that it seduces a man and draws him in and he chases after that, that. And so Father says, hey, listen, listen to me. Listen where this is going. He hasn't done anything yet, but listen where this will go, right? Look what it says in verse 21, Proverbs 7 says, before you know it, like you think everything's great, seeds have been planted, you're not even thinking about it at all, but before you know it, he says, he's trotting behind her like a calf led to the butcher shop. Like a stag lured in the, into ambush and then shot with an arrow. Like a bird flying into a net, not knowing that its flying life is over. Like you didn't even realize it. You didn't get it. You didn't know that you were even a sitting target. And before you knew it, that's where you were. He says, friend, listen to me. Like he gets really pastoral here. Hear my heart. I, 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 know, I know you feel like I'm just judging you. I know you feel like I'm just telling you you can't do this and don't do that and don't do this. I know that's what you feel like. I'm, but I'm just telling you, I can see through the drink. I can see beyond it. I can see what's ahead. So listen to me is what he says. 
Take these words of mine most seriously. Don't fool around with a woman like that. Don't even stroll through her neighborhood. Countless victims come under her spell. She's the death of many a poor man. His language is tough language. She runs a halfway house to hell. Wow. Wow. It fits you, fits you out with a shroud and a coffin like you're already dead. So stop and think about what's under that bait. Stop and think. I mean, it's in your head right now, but stop and think. What's under that bait? You know what's under that bait? A hook. And that hook's gonna trap you. I think it's what's behind that show, uh, Arts and Entertainment, or A&E channel, has a show called Beyond Scared Straight. You familiar with that, that show, Beyond Scared Straight? It's this show where they take these troubled teens and they take them to a, to a penitentiary. <laughs> and I mean, it's scary. I, I, like, I, I, like, I had to turn it off because I was like, man, I'm scared. That guy is like in my face, you know. He was in the kid's face, but it felt like he was in my face. I mean, he's just like telling him, this is what it's going to look like. I've spent all my life here. Is this what you want? It's this idea of trying to give them perspective, of helping them look through the drink. And the final step of temptation, according to James, is death. Verse 15, he says, when death, uh, sorry, when it's full grown, sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. So the Bible tells us that that's what we get from sin, we get death. And in scripture, death is always about separation. Like physically, it's about separation between the body and the soul. Right? Like when you die, when you're buried in the ground, your body's there, your soul's separated. Right? Spiritually, it's about, it's about separation between our spirits and God's spirit. Some of you have understood that. I knew what that was like when I wasn't a follower of Jesus Christ. My spirit was separated from God's spirit. I didn't understand it completely, but it was separated. Relationally and spiritually and relationally, you're, you're separated from your spouse. You feel distant from your husband, distant from your wife. You're separated from your friends. You're separated from, from your passions in life. You're separated from your purpose in life. <clears throat> it always separates you. That's what death does. It separates you even from yourself. And so if you're right now, you're here, and you're saying, I'm struggling, you're worn out, you're exhausted, you're frustrated, you don't know why, well, it's likely because you're a divided person. You are separated from yourself. And that's what sin does. But I love what the gospel is all about. What the gospel is all about is Jesus came to basically bring back together what had been separated by sin. And that's what we have. That's what the opportunity we have. We have an opportunity to actually lean into Jesus Christ. What it says here in verses 16 and 17, it says, don't be deceived. So if this is how temptation works, don't be deceived by it. Right? My dear brothers and sisters, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He says, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect thing in your life comes from God. So at the heart of your temptation, at the heart of my temptation is this deception, is this idea that we cannot trust God. It's this idea that somehow God is holding out on us. It's this idea that somehow he doesn't really care for me, so I really need that drink. And so when you find yourself being tempted, when this battle is going on in your mind, 
you have to ask yourself this question, am I being deceived right now? And you can ask other questions like, is God, is God loving? Of course he's loving. Does God care for me? Of course he cares for you. Can God be trusted? Yes, he can be trusted. This is what James is trying to say. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. And the life, the life that you long to live is found in God's way. Bottom line. So what I want us to do now intentionally, in an intentional way, I want us to not be deceived. I want us, we're going to worship here in a second. I want us to, to speak truth into our own spirits about who God says I am about what God believes about me and what I should believe about God, right? Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Jesus can be trusted. Do you hear me? Jesus can be trusted. He proved that once and for all when he went to the cross and he died for your sins. He can be trusted. And if you're here, we're gonna take a few minutes to respond to God's goodness with repentance. Some of you walked in here this morning and um, you're carrying a weight. You're carrying a load. You've uh, made a lot of mistakes. You might be a married couple sitting next to each other and you're thinking, yeah, I need to ask for forgiveness there and I need to, I need to, I need to change. Some of you, it's secret. Secret sin you're carrying around. And what we want to do is we want to offer you, we want to respond to God's goodness with Repentance. Is there sin in your life that you need to repent of? Now is the time to do that. God's grace, God's grace will meet you right where you are. He will forgive you. He will wash away your sins. In fact, I love how the Bible describes this about our sin. Like if you're here, just hear me for a second. If you're here this morning and after hearing me talk, you're like, yeah, I've got sin in my life and I'm not happy about it and I'm very disappointed with my sin. I love what he says about sin. He'll take our sin and he'll throw it as far as the east is from the west. He'll never remember it. He'll forget it. It's out of his mind. Now, you might still try to remember, but he doesn't. That's what he wants to do with a sin in your life right now. If you'll just bring it to me. There might be some of you here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You've heard me talk and you're like, yeah, I totally get that whole, you know, difficult situations leads to destructive decisions. Yeah, I totally get that. I've done that. In fact, I've been trying to fix my life and I've been working hard and working hard and working hard and it's just not working for me, Rich. I've done all the right things, it seems like, but it's just not working. And here's the reason why is because everything comes from God. God is the one who wants to give you the life that you really desire to have. And it starts with us surrendering our heart to Jesus Christ. It starts with me saying, Jesus, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I want to, I've tried to do this on my own, but I cannot do this on my own. I need you, Lord, in my life. Will you forgive me of my sins? And if that's you, if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, we want to walk that journey with you. We want to pray with you. We want to, we want to celebrate with you. We want to answer any kind of questions you might have. And so if, you, if that's you, I, I, here's what I'd encourage you to do. There's these connection cards, right? It says, welcome home. And you can basically put your name on there, your contact information. And at the very bottom, it says, today I decided for the first time to follow Jesus. You can um, make that decision today to follow Jesus for the very first time. Or maybe you have been a follower of Jesus, but it's gotten kind of muddy. And you find yourself kind of navigating through a lot of 
man, difficult places, places you never thought you would be before, and you find yourself there and you really want to recommit your life to Jesus Christ, you can also fill this card out and let us know because we want to walk this journey with you. We want to pray with you. Listen, every good and perfect gift comes from God. So the best life, your best life is in your future if you give your life to Jesus today. Amen? Amen. He wants to give you the greatest gift you'll ever receive. So what I want us to do is I want us to bow our heads, close our eyes. We're going to pray here in a minute. And those of you in Cedar Rapids, please join us, bowing your heads, closing your eyes. Um, what we're going to do is we're going to have one more song. We're going to sing here one more song. And we're going to do that here. We're going to do it in Cedar Rapids as well. And if you need prayer for anything, for any area of your life, if you need prayer today, don't leave today without receiving prayer. We have prayer teams that are, that are in the back corners of this, of, this, of this auditorium, right and left corners here. And they want to pray with you. They want to love on you. They want to they agree with you in prayer. And so if you need prayer, will you step out? What we're going to do is we're going to sing. And when we all stand to sing, that's going to be your cue. If you need prayer today, you can step out. There's going to be room for you to be able to step out. You can step out, go back to the back, and pray with them. And I understand that that might be difficult. You might say, I don't really want to do that. I feel nervous about doing that. I feel embarrassed about doing that. But here's the deal. You don't want to come here with a need. Know that God can meet you at that need, but then walk away without actually receiving prayer. So I want to challenge you this morning to don't leave here before you receive prayer. Amen. Let me pray. Father, we just want to thank you, God, for your presence in this place. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will call out every person here and in Cedar Rapids, Father, that, that you are tapping, that, that you are calling out for prayer. Father, you will call them out, that they will respond, Lord, to, to what, you're saying, what you're saying for them to do. And that, Father, they would leave this place as a brand new person. In Jesus' name, amen.